Uh, Church, if you have your Bibles with you, let's open up to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. The last few weeks we've been asking, we've been looking at the symbols of Christmas and asking ourselves where in the world they come from. And today's going to be the weirdest one. Uh, Anybody, does anybody use mistletoe in their decorations at home? Is that just something on TV? I don't think I've ever been in a house with mistletoe. Anybody? No, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't even know. I didn't really know what it was about until I kind of studied up on it. Um, mistletoe, we're in John 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, you should see a blue one in the chair bottom in front of you. Go ahead and open that one up. Take that blue one home with you if you need a Bible. We'd love for you to have that. Uh, mistletoe, weird. It's weird. Uh, all I knew about it was people are supposed to smooch under it. Um, that's all I knew. And, and so when we're talking about the symbol, why mistletoe, some things came up, came up that it was about the love of God, which makes sense, right? It makes sense. God loves us, and that's Christmas is, is shown. But here's my, here's my favorite part. I think it's a better, deeper connection to our faith. I found a couple of sources that said this. Mistletoe is a parasite. Did you know that? I never knew that. Mistletoe is a parasite. What that means is mistletoe attaches itself to a tree. And attaching itself to that tree is necessary for the mistletoe to survive. The life of the mistletoe is wrapped up in whatever tree they find themselves in. I think that's a better use of that symbol for Christmas. Because Christmas is when we celebrate Jesus coming into the world and we are celebrating our tree that gives us life as jesus comes into the world we celebrate the one who gives us everything and so in a way jesus would say this i am the tree you are the mistletoe does that sound familiar in john chapter 15 he's going to say it like this i am the vine you are the branches what does that mean What does it mean that Jesus is the tree and we are the mistletoe? What does it mean that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches? Before we read together and answer that question, would you bow with me as we we pray over this time? Father God, uh, we arrive here today at this moment, this time. We believe that you have brought us here and you have a message for this body of believers in particular. And Father, we know that there are many things in our lives that want to bring distraction, bring fog to this time. We have an enemy that does not want us to hear the good news and what we shall do with it. And so Father, we need You to prepare our hearts and our minds Father, we need You to help us see clearly what it means to be attached to Jesus. Father, may we find joy in the truth of Your Word. And Father, may we take it eagerly and apply it to our lives. Father, please do this for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Okay, let's read together. I am the tree, you are the mistletoe. I am the the vine, you are the branches. Let's read together. John chapter 15. What does it mean to be attached to Jesus in this way? John chapter 15. 
goes like this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Remain in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love if you keep my commandments. You abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another. I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. My friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for I have, for I have heard, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit and that your fruit should, should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. What does it mean that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches? Jesus is the vine and we are connected so closely to Jesus through our faith in him. We are connected so close that it's, it's, it's as if we are the same plant. It's as if everything that I need to survive, he gives me. It's like he is the vine and I am the branches. What does this mean? The first thing that, we, that I want to bring up, the first thing that we see, what does it mean for Jesus to be my vine? The first thing that we see in here is that the vine chooses the branches. The vine chooses the branches. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And lest we think that this is just for the disciples, we have words, we have biblical concepts, biblical terms for this idea all over the place. Terms like chosen. You're my chosen people. Terms like elect. You are the elect. I have elected you. Terms like predestined. Terms like destined. All biblical words describing, Christian, your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, I get it. I know. Predestined, destined, election, all these things have a lot of baggage. A lot of theological discussion. So your homework is to go figure that out. Uh, when you figure it out, write a book, make a billion dollars, and mention me in the, in the thank yous up front, okay? 
That's your homework. But whatever, however we unpack that theology, it's crystal clear that you, Christian, have been chosen by God. You did not choose Him. However you unpack that, unpack that on your own time. But that is biblical truth. And so the point here is this. The vine sprouted the branches. The branches didn't sprout themselves in any sense. You don't go outside your house and you see a branch suspended in the air and think, huh, a tree is going to come up here. That's really neat. Branches do not sprout themselves. The trunk, the roots, the vine sprouts the branches. And so there are consequences to this idea that God has chosen you. The first one I want to talk about. Your faith, if, if Jesus chose you, your faith is nothing for you to brag about as if you sprung yourself. Now, we talk often, and we should, about we are saved by grace through faith alone, not our works. And we should talk about this often. And so we have no, I, 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 the best sermon I've ever preached is nothing to brag about for myself. It's all God. It's all God's grace. We also must realize God's grace goes so deep down that even the faith to believe is given by God. So lest we say, well, I'm not saved by works, but I'm saved by my own strong faith. Or there's some organ inside me that we haven't found yet that produces this faith, and mine is just healthier and stronger than yours. Lest we think that is the case, God chose you. You weren't super spiritual. You choose Him. God chose you. So Christian, in a very real sense, we should be the most humble people in the world. We know we can't brag on our goodness, our righteousness. We know we can't brag about what family we were born in. And we know that we cannot brag about even the faith that has saved us. Bragging about faith would be like my Almost one-year-old son, my goodness, can you believe that? I can't believe that. Almost one-year-old son, Judah, it'd be like him bragging about his birth. You know, I, I, I was born. Look how great I am. Look what I did. Judah, you don't have anything to do with that. You just arrived. Our faith is a consequence of God's grace and mercy. Look how deep that goes. Every time we peel away a layer of God's grace, there's something more underneath. Even the faith to save us is a gift of God. What doesn't our God love to give us? What a God we serve. And we need to understand. So, it has not, so why did God choose us? That's a good question. Why did God choose us? Did He choose me? Because anything that I had to benefit Him. Did He pick me out? Because I'm... I'm, I'm so good looking, right? No, of course not. They pick me out because I'm so strong. No, of course not. They pick me out because I'm so smart. No, of course not. They pick me out because I'm so righteous. No, of course not. Here's the mystery of why I'm chosen. It is up to God. 
He tells us this when he picks Israel. Israel is God's chosen people. And just in case, well, how would you feel if you, if you were God's chosen people? I might start to think, well, I must be super, super, super smart or super strong or super talented or super good looking or super rich or something. That would be the temptation in my mind. But God tells Israel right up front, I chose you not because you're righteous. In fact, you're a stiff-necked, stubborn people. I chose you not because you're big and strong because you're not. I chose you for my own purposes. Why did he choose you? He chose you because he is good and he loves picking sinners. That's all we know about why he picked you. For his purposes, his desire. So the second consequence to the vine, choosing you, Branch, he chose you. Second consequence is, since this is true, he's got you. He chose you. He's got you. Can anyone stop God from getting what he wants? No. And he wants you with him forever. He chose you. In fact, Ephesians 1.4 says he chose you, Ephesians 1.4, before the foundation of the world. He chose you. He chose you way back then. He says, this one's mine. And what did He choose you for? Romans 8.30 says, and to those whom He predestined, good way, chosen, predestined before foundation of the world, he saw, that you, he, he saw you, chose you to be with Him forever. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified, declared righteous. And those He also declared righteous, He also glorified. Glorified means He is revealing the, the true worth of Jesus Christ in us, and that will be revealed as perfect one day in heaven. You will be totally glorified. You'll be like Jesus in heaven. So that verse says He chose you for the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4. Those He predestined, He called. Those He called, He justified. And those He justified, He will glorify. The whole chain of events from choosing you in eternity past to glorifying you in eternity future, that chain is unbroken. So the consequence is He chose you. He's got you. You can't lose it. You can't break the chain. You're not strong enough. Your sin isn't big enough. He chose you knowing you'd be the sinner that you are. Well, I'm not talented enough. He chose you knowing the talents that you have. Well, man, my head's so, so jumbled around. It's such a mess. He chose you with the mind that you have, He chose you. He chose you. So Christian, relax. He's got you. Well, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to sin really, really badly. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. But He chose you. Relax. Remember last week? Sin boldly. Don't be like, oh, I'm going to go sin. When you sin, boldly enter in to the Holy of Holies right before the presence of God. Why? Because He has poured the blood of Christ on you, you are forgiven. But why else? Because you know there's an unbroken chain from eternity past that brings you to Jesus. Relax. He's got you. He's got you. I once heard it said this way. And anytime you use an analogy for God, it's, it's, there's always holes in it. So don't, don't go picking apart this too deep. But, but I love this analogy. It's like I heard an adoptive uh, family. A family had many adopted kids from around the world. And when they talked about their kids, well, some families, 
come naturally. Right? And when I talked to their kids about their unique family, uh, Dad said this. Dad said, most, most families you're born into, but your mom and dad, we looked around the entire world and we picked you. There's something incredible about being chosen. There's something beautiful about being chosen. Nothing to do with our good looks, our talents, our skills, our strength, our faith. Nothing to do with that. It has to do with God and His purposes. But there's something special about it. The vine chooses the branches. The second thing, the vine loves the branches. Listen to this phenomenal mind-blowing sentence. The vine loves the branches. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. What? As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. That's the most amazing verse. Because the love between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is almost indescribable. An eternity past of perfect love for each other. An eternity past filled with absence of selfishness, of sin, of keeping records of wrongs. There are no wrongs, but even if there were, they wouldn't keep a record of them. Of joyful loving one another. That relationship that is perfect Jesus says, I am the vine. I love my branches. He invites us into that love relationship. We have no business being part of that love relationship. It's as if you gave me a call one day and said, Jordan, I'm really lonely today. So, oh, I'm so sorry. It's my 10-year anniversary with my wife. We've got these really wonderful dinner plans. And, uh, and Why don't you come along with us? What would happen? Bad things would happen, right? But you'd say, no, no, I don't belong in that. I have no business being a part of that. That's something special. That's the nature of this. We've been invited into this love relationship. Our sinfulness, our selfishness, our keeping records of wrongs, all these things we bring into this relationship. God does so openly. Come. I will love you like my Father loves me. How does the Father love the Son? It's an, un, it's an inseparable love. Eternity past to eternity future, nothing will change this love. It does nothing but grow and grow and grow between the Godhead. It's inseparable. God in, One God in three persons, united in will, power, and knowledge, distinct in persons, loving one another forever and always. Two plus two will equal five before the Godhead will stop loving each other. So if Jesus says, I love you, Christian, like my Father loves me, what does that mean? He'll never stop. He'll stop loving you when the Father starts hating Him. And when will that happen? Never. Isn't that great news? There's nothing you can do to stop Jesus from loving you, Christian. Nothing. How great is that? What great grace, mercy, and love do we have? This love, we can say so much, this love is also a generous love. The Father 
gives all things to the Son. Colossians 1.16 says, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. It's all for Him. It says, all things in heaven, all things on earth, visible, He says, rocks and trees and rivers and dirt and animals and fish and people, all things visible are His, all things invisible are His. Philosophy, theology, education, love, ambition, all things invisible are for Jesus. He says all domains, the Roman Empire, America, the Mongol Empire, the British Empire, Russia, China, your workplace, your home, all domains, all dominions are His, belong to Him. It says all rulers or authorities, presidents, vice presidents, kings, queens, mayors, police, dictators, every authority was created for Him. It's all His. That's how generous the Father is to Jesus. And guess what? Because we are the branch connected to the vine, you know what Scripture tells us? Everything that is Jesus's is yours. Everything that belongs to Jesus is yours. The Father's generous love for the Son Jesus says, I will love you like the Father loves me. The Father gave Jesus everything. Jesus gives us everything. Romans 8 says it this way, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 2 Timothy 2.12 If we endure with Him, we will also reign with Him. Let's be crystal clear about our inheritance. If we were to die today, we would go and be with God the Father in spirit. We would be in heaven and it would be so good you can't even imagine it right now. Better every single day. We would be in heaven, but something better is coming. There's a day when Jesus will come back and will create the new heaven and new earth and give it all to us. All of it. How generous is God. The vine loves the branches. How the Father has loved me, I will love you inseparably and generously. Number three, the vine preserves the branches. The vine preserves the branches. How in the world will I make it to the end? Timothy says we, if we endure, if we, if we persevere, how in the world will I do this? Well, Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in Me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. If we abide in Jesus, He will preserve us. The Father is the vine dresser. He goes through the garden and He takes all the branches that don't bear fruit and that are withering. He throws them into the fire. How do we preserve that? How do we avoid hell fire? We abide in Jesus. Jesus preserves us. How in the world will I, will I persevere to the end? I'm such a sinner. Oh my, I'm such a sinner. How, how can I do this? You abiding in Jesus. Your connection with Jesus. Connecting with Christ is what saves us from withering away. Connecting with Christ is what saves us from the wrath of the vine dresser. 
only reason that you and I, Christian, will persevere to the end, the only reason that that chain will go unbroken from eternity past to eternity future, the only reason is that Christ will make us stand. He chose you. He loves you like the Father loves Him. He will preserve you to the end. So now, how do I know if I'm connected to Jesus? How do I know? What criteria will the vine dresser use to determine who is destined for the fire and who is destined for eternity? Faithful followers, we talk a lot about faithful followers. Faithful followers are fruitful branches. Are you with me? Faithful followers are fruitful branches. Those destined for eternity are fruitful branches. Evidence of abiding with Christ. Evidence of a connection with Christ. Evidence of a relationship with Jesus is being a fruitful branch. He says it this way in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Fruit is awesome. Fruit is awesome. Fruit is health. It's healthy and delicious. How does that work? That's a miracle. It's a miracle. It grows out, and, and this healthy and delicious thing wasn't concocted in some laboratory. It grows out of the ground. That's a grace of God. How cool is that? We love fruit so much in my house. Bailey's birthday was yesterday, and she made this whole checklist of all the things that she wanted to do, and everything seemed to circulate around fruit. She wanted fruit for breakfast, fruit for lunch, fruit for dinner, fruit for snacks, and so we had fruit run out our ears. We had mangoes, and we had uh, we had oranges and bananas and pears and black and blueberries and apples and pineapples and strawberries. We even had a strawberry cake. It was glorious. I'd invite you over, but I want to eat it all when I get home. Fruit is great, but a mango tree that does not produce mangoes is worthless. A berry bush that does not produce berries is worthless. Not doing what it needs to do. So it's so in the same way, someone professing to be a Christian without producing the fruit of being a Christian is not a Christian. And I know that jostles our hearts a little bit, doesn't it? Because part of it makes it wow, makes me inspect my own heart. Makes me ask, how does this match up with we are saved by grace through faith? How does it match up with that? Well, fruit is the evidence of salvation, not the reason for being saved. Are you with me? Good works is the fruit, not the root. It's a great way to put it. It's the, good works is the fruit, not the root. There's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. Jesus tells us that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So please hear me. If you prayed a prayer when you were seven and think that you have your fire insurance, but you are not producing fruit, First John would say it like this, you should have no assurance 
of your salvation. That's the truth. That's the truth. And that's, that's for you. That's not my job. We're not to condemn. I'm not to look at your life and say, you're definitely going to hell. I can't do that. But look at your own life and ask yourself, am I producing evidence? Am I producing evidence? I mean, think about it. Think about it. What, we, we've been through the book of Mark. What's the evidence of a life that's been connected with Jesus in the book of Mark? Well, the blind see. The deaf hear, the mute speak, the dead rise. If that's just connecting with him physically, what should it look like to connect with him spiritually? If Jesus rises the dead physically, what in the world should it look like from somebody that connects with him like a vine connects with a branch? What should we expect? We should expect Jesus to produce fruit in our lives. The blind see. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and sinners begin to produce fruit. A changed life. And the next few, the next few points are going to say the vine produces. The vine produces. So as we talk about this, remember, we have no room to brag on anything. Good works, faith. We have no room. The vine produces these things. It is because the vine is connected to the branch that the branch produces fruit. So it is Jesus who produces these things. So our relationship with Jesus looks like this. We get the salvation. He gets all the credit. Are you with me? We get the salvation. He gets all the credit. That's a great deal. You better sign on that dollar. That's a great deal. Don't expect any of the credit. We don't need the credit. We don't need the credit. So what fruit does Jesus produce through us? The vine produces obedience through the branches. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. A sign that we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. A sign that we are connected by, to Jesus. A sign that we understand the Gospel. And the Gospel has captured our heart. A sign of these things is obedience. Obedience is a sign that we love Jesus. My girls. I want my girls to obey me not because they're afraid of me or because they're trying to earn something from me. I want them to obey me because they love me. To obey Jesus is evidence that we love Jesus. So how does this work? And, and it's, so, it's complicated because I'm going to sin tomorrow and I'm going to say, oh man, is that, does that mean I don't love Jesus? We're not going to love Him perfectly. Maybe this helps. We've used this before. We've used this before. How do I know? What, what does this look like? What, what's this dynamic that obedience shows that I love Jesus? Well, think about it like this. There's a little green alien on Mars. And he has a magic telescope, and his job, his little green bosses said, your job is to look through that telescope every moment of every day, every second of every minute, and watch Jordan Hodges and write down everything that he does. You can't see my heart. But write down everything that he does. Would that little green alien determine at the end of his study that I love Jesus? 
Would he see my comings and goings? Would he hear the words that I speak to my wife and my kids? Would he hear how I talk to you and determine that I am a lover of Jesus? I can fool somebody for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. I can fool you for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. I can't fool that little green alien. Would he determine that you are a lover of Jesus by your actions and by your words, by your obedience? Another great thought. If you were accused of loving Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Is there evidence in your life that you are connected to the vine? The second thing the vine produces. The vine produces love of church through the branches. The vine produces a love of church through the branches. I don't mean coming and sitting and singing in the building. I mean a love of a church family. That's what He produces. He says, this is My commandment. So, we love Jesus. We'll keep His commandment. This is My commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Now, be very careful. Okay, He's not talking about being nice to everybody on the, on the planet. Although you should. He's not talking about loving the world, although you should. He's saying specifically, you love you. He's saying specifically, you followers of Jesus, love each other. He's saying you, Trinity, church family, love each other. That is what the vine produces in you. Love one another. There's a special type of love that Jesus talks about when He talks about His church. Love each other. Love each other. Go. Do it. Love each other. Love each other. There are 59 one another commands in Scripture that impact your relationship with your church family. 59 commands from God. If you don't have a connection to your church family, you are not fulfilling those commands. I just don't get it. Be my, you have to be my psychiatrist today. But I, just don't, I just don't understand. There's a, there's a spirit in the American Christian community that says things like, I don't need a church family. I don't get it. If we read the New Testament, the New Testament, most of it is all about how you love your church family. Most of it's about that. Jesus commands, He says, what I will produce in you for being, a connect, being connected to me is a love of church. Love one another. Love one another. And we're not talking about some namby-pamby, I wish you no harm, nice love. We're not talking about niceness. We're talking about a fierce, steadfast love for your church family. He says, listen to what he says, love one another as I have loved you. So, if you understand the Gospel, you're going to understand who you are, and you're going to understand Jesus' love for you means He loves you when you're unlovable, doesn't He? He loves you when you're mean, doesn't He? He loves you when you disagree with Him, doesn't He? All the time. Love one another as I have loved you. This is a fruit that the vine will produce in your life. Love as I have loved you. That means sacrificially. That means patiently. That means putting your church family in front of your desires or needs. It means being unified. It means not giving up when we disagree. 
It means wanting what's best for you. It means loving you when you are unlovable. I hate saying it like that. It means you loving me when I am unlovable. And that's easy to do when we all think the same, vote the same, desire the same, feel the same way about masks, feel the same way about vaccinations, feel the same way about X, Y, and Z. That's easy to do. There's no fruit for me to love you if you're a 35-year-old white guy who votes like I do, thinks like I do, roots for the chiefs like I do, has the same hobbies as me, never disagrees with me. It's easy for me to love you. That's not even love. Love is saying when we disagree and we will, I am still here for you and I love you. That's when this command is followed, when it's hard to do. When it's hard to do. It only really counts when we disagree. Where it's only really stretched and the evidence of that love is only apparent when we disagree with each other. And we know, I don't have to tell you, there's been no shortage of Christians harming one another and fighting with one another and being bitter towards one another in the last year. No shortage. I'm afraid the American church has done a very poor job showing this fruit in the last year. So, Jesus being connected with Jesus will produce, if you're, if you're connected with Jesus and you, you care about that and you meditate on that and you love Jesus and you want to grow in your love for Jesus, what you're going to find is as you grow in your love for Jesus, you're going to grow in your love for church. Not agreeing with, it, with us all the time. Not agreeing with me all the time. Not, not never disagreeing. Not, not never fighting. Not all of it. No, but you're going to grow in a love for Jesus. That's what He produces. The third thing the vine produces. The vine produces more fruitful branches through the branches. The vine produces more fruitful branches through the branches. Listen to what he says. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Well, if I bear fruit of, of obedience, how does obedience abide? No, people abide. People abide. If I love church, that's part of my fruit. No, no, the love does not abide. People abide. What is he saying? I've chosen you to be connected to me and part of the fruit that you will produce is more branches connected to Jesus. Bear fruit that bears fruit. Faithful followers make faithful followers. Are you with me? Faithful followers make faithful followers. Fruitful branches make fruitful branches. That's why we're branches. Again, why didn't He just beam us up right when we were saved? Because we are a branch to produce fruit that produces fruit that produces fruit that produces fruit down until Jesus comes back. Faithful followers make faithful followers. We talk about a thousand faithful followers. What if God used Trinity to make a thousand faithful followers in this place where 30,000 people are unchurched within 10 miles? What if He used us to do that? One of, the, one of the hundreds of reasons we want to do that is because it's evidence that I'm connected to Jesus. 
I want to have that desire. I want to want that because I'm connected to Jesus. That's important to me. That's important to us. So how, how, do, we, how do we do this? How do, how do I produce? How do I do that, Jordan? How do I produce? How do I be a fruit-producing branch that produces fruit-producing branches? How, do I, how can I be a faithful follower that makes faithful follower? Well, you start, start small. Start with the people whose feet are under your dinner table. That's where you start. Don't start in Kenya. Don't go with that guy in those tents if you're not disciple, if you're not producing, trying to produce fruit in your own family. Right? You start there. Then you move to your friends and your neighbors. And you help us at church. Every ministry that we do is about making faithful followers. You work in the nursery with my one-year-old son. Your job is to nurture him, give him a, even at one a good feeling about church so that you can set him on a road for being a faithful follower. Teaching first graders. You're teaching them what it means to be a faithful follower. Teaching middle schoolers. You're teaching them how to be faithful. To youth, college, adults, all that stuff that unfortunately we are not doing right now. All of that. When we gather that back up, be the first in line to volunteer. Because you're connected to Jesus and He wants to produce that fruit in you of making more fruitful branches. And here's the good news. If your branch is producing the fruit of obedience and the fruit of love of the church, you're halfway there. You're halfway there. Jesus tells us, they will know if you are My disciples if you love one another. Loving one another, making faithful followers, go together. They'll know. Our obedience. Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Good works, glorifying Father in heaven. Those things go together. So if you're producing that fruit, you're halfway there. Now, you are loving others. You are obeying God. How do I produce faithful followers in my neighbors? Be known by non-believers. Are you known by non-believers? Not just at work, how you doing, handshake. Are you known by them? Do they see your fruit? Are you having them over for dinner? Listen, have them over for dinner. Gospel conversations just will naturally occur. Get to know them. Be known by them. If you're known by them, things will come up. Things will come up naturally. They, they're known by you. They'll come up and say, man, my marriage is, is a mess. Man, I know. You know, sin, sin is a devastating thing around the world. We all struggle with that. All marriages are tough. All marriages are hard. But you know what I have found? I found that the, more, the closer I am to Jesus, the better my marriage becomes. I mean, these things just can naturally happen. Say, he comes to you and says, hey, oh man, I just... I had a great vacation. We went to the Grand Canyon. We saw everything. Yeah, isn't God great that He gives us these little blessings that we don't deserve it? You know, have these conversations with non-believers. It's scary, but step out. Desire that for your heart. Want that for your heart. 
Yes, sin is a mess. I know uh, we've all done bad things, but God has a gift, a gift of grace, and that is His Son has come to take away our sins. And I live under that, and I, I know I'm a sinner, but I have seen God's grace and forgiveness. You can too. How do I make more faithful followers? Be obedient, love your church, be known by non-believers, and let the vine shine. Worship team, would you come up and join me? Let the vine shine. To what end? To what end? Why do we do this? Why do we talk about this? Why do I come to church? Why do I work on my obedience? Why do I work on evangelism? Why do I get to know my neighbor? That's awkward. That's me scary. Why do we do these things? For the glory of God. Jesus says in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I am connected with Jesus like a vine connected to a branch. And I, I, I tend to that connection, and I meditate on that connection, and I, I love that connection, and I I strive to be even closer. When I do that, I'll start to realize the worth and worthiness of who Jesus is. And what I want to do is I want to glorify Him. And glorifying Him means I'm trying to pull back the curtain, our physical curtain. We, we can't see the true glory of Jesus. And I, what I want to do is I want to pull the curtain away and show the world, no, look how valuable He is. Look at what a connection with Him will do for you. Look at the grace and the mercy. I pull that curtain back. Everything that we've talked about, our obedience, uh, our, our love of church, our evangelism, all those things are a desire to pull the, show, show the world how glorious, how awesome, how worthy Jesus is. Do you have that connection with Him? If you do have that connection with Him, are you producing fruit? If you're producing fruit, are you joyfully glorifying Him? Are you seeking to pull that curtain apart to show the world how awesome He 